0: The hardest physical work that I do lately is for Becky. She'll put me out digging holes, pulling up stumps, and if it's not right, I have to do it all over again. So the other day, I cut myself, bled all over a good shirt, and they told me what to do to get the blood out of it, and it wouldn't work nothing we did worked so I ruined that shirt thank you anyway. and <laughs> but you know what I I got to look at that shirt and I wasn't aggravated or anything like that that stuff happens and, but I uh, was getting ready to throw that shirt away and then it dawned on me you know what we're a bloodstained church we're a bloodstained church and we might throw something away because it got stained by blood. But you know what? It's the blood that has redeemed us. It's the blood of Jesus that has made us treasured and valued. And that's the symbols of what you're holding in your hands this morning. So like every good preacher, I try to find an illustration in everything. So thank you again for that illustration. Jesus took the bread and the cup and the Gospels and... He told us that every time we ate this bread and we drank this cup, that they were to remind us of what he did for us. Now, these can be a little difficult to get into. And um, we got a different brand this week. And the juice is worse than the other brand was. So we're going back to the old brand after you use this one up. Um, So don't be shocked at the taste of the juice. But this morning, I want us to hold the bread and break it together after I pray. Jesus, you took upon yourself the scourging and the stripes for all of our sins. How precious, Lord, is it to us every week that we remember Good Friday of how, Jesus, you bore the scourgings and the stripes. For it's by your stripes we are healed. And I pray for all of those today who need healing in their bodies. Father, look down upon them and remember the stripes of our Lord and Savior. And thank you that this body that was prepared for sacrifice for Christ, Lord, is why we are gathered here today. And as we break this tiny piece of bread, we break, Lord, the symbol of the greatest thing in the world. Help us to realize we hold such a tiny thing, but such a great and awesome truth that Christ was given for us. Would you break bread and eat with me today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, my Lord. My precious Savior. Hallelujah. Lord, nothing could wash my blood out of that shirt. But nothing could wash away my sins but the blood of Jesus. Lord how precious is that fountain how precious is that blood that flowed from your veins that makes our sins Lord disappear you take them away and though they were like scarlet you make us white as snow we thank you for this cup together in the name of Jesus Christ let's drink would you Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God. Oh Lord, I ask you to impart gifts of healing grace to all who are sharing communion with us today. I ask you, Lord, to bring comfort and peace to those that are troubled and afflicted. I ask you, Lord, to strengthen feeble hands and arms today. For those who just feel like they can't go one day more, Lord, may they find strength in the bread and in the cup this morning, the blood of Jesus. And, Lord, may you use us all as cups this week. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, with the new wine of heaven, Lord. And would you cause us to spill out and to splash onto whoever we meet this week, with the life-giving presence of Jesus Christ. Now we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome the very presence of God in our midst today. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, set your cup aside and let's give the Lord a hand of praise today. Would you do that? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Pastor Corey has already mentioned to you about giving today, but let me one more time ask you that you can either go online to woodland.church and click the button that says Give, or you can uh, stop by one of our baskets on the way out this morning, or you can text to Give, 77977, keyword Woodland Church, and you can give by credit card today, and we are so grateful Thank you for helping us be able to continue to go full steam ahead. We've not had to back off of anything. We've had to change how we do a lot of things, but we've had not had to back off of how we do anything for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. I'm going to talk to you about happiness today and our pursuit of happiness. Happiness is an unusual and an extraordinary demand that we made of our forefathers and you need to just think about that for just a moment we made a demand for our forefathers that um, it's kind of different than what you think about our political revolutionaries you think of revolutionaries calling for democracy equality, equality you think about all the things that political revolutionaries want but we in our Constitution we wrote in the pursuit of happiness now think about that for just a moment the pursuit of happiness it doesn't guarantee anybody happiness but it just says you have the right to pursue what makes you happy you have the right to pursue what will bring joy and fulfillment into your life some of you have probably been to this place but they advertise themselves as the happiest place on earth does anybody know where that is Disneyland Disney World the happiest place on earth you know I used to believe that until we watched young parents before becky and i were married with their children inside of disneyland and we'd see the parents who were just could not figure out why their children were not happy in the hot florida sun to meet mickey mouse and minnie mouse and they wanted to go home they wanted to go back to the motel where there was air conditioning at but we have a right here happiness is something that everybody wants i I asked this week some folks, I said, what makes you happy? I, I sent out a message to people, and I got all kinds of responses of people telling me what makes them happy. I even asked my daughter. I said, Amy, what makes you happy? And she said, Daddy, your being my daddy makes me happy. That girl knows how to get what she wants in life, doesn't she? <laughs> you know, I, those things. And Becky and I remembered those cartoons in life. Do you remember those, happiness is a warm puppy, happiness is a warm fire, happiness is holding someone you love, and there were those little cute, cutesy cartoons that make women go, ah, make men kind of go, ah, you know, it's just kind of those things that we look at, and Becky and I were talking about this week, and so we, we asked one another, what really made each other happy? Of course, we make one another happy, our grandchildren make us happy, our children make us happy, we're happy pastoring this congregation. We're happy living in this community and serving in this community. And so we thought about all the blessings of life. I'm happy for the things that God taught me, you know, by growing up disabled and by some of the things that I've grown through in life. I wouldn't take anything for my life story. You shouldn't take anything for your life story, no matter how painful that it may be. And there are some of you sitting here, I know. You've been through very difficult, difficult times. Jesus started one of his most famous sermons with list after list. Most people know it as the Beatitudes, but he really was saying, Happier you if you do these things. Happier you if you do these things. And nowhere in the Bible does, does the Bible really define happiness. The Bible equates happiness with a lot of things. You'll be happy if you're pure in heart you'll be happy if you love your wife and you love your children there are all kinds of things i could go through that the bible says that you will be happy if you do these things but it really doesn't define happiness for us so my definition of happiness is just really very simple it's one that i share with john wesley john wesley preached so many sermons on happiness over 70 messages that we have where he equated happiness with holiness. And just recently, I was talking with a young pastor who gave me a call and wanted to talk about holiness. And I was sharing with him some of the things that I'm sharing with you today. And he goes, oh, I wish I'd have heard that years earlier. A small group leader called me this week while I was out in the yard doing some things for Becky. And called me and we were talking about holiness and so i share with him a few things i'm going to share with you and he says oh i'm going to use that in my small group teaching this week for holiness is something that is wonderful and is beautiful it's described for us as the fruit of the spirit it's described for us as all those wonderful attributes that we want in our lives of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control one of my friends called me this week, and this is just what pastors and preachers do. He says, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching about happiness this weekend. He goes, oh. He said, there are some things I've learned to never pray for to make me happy. And I go, well, what are some of those things? And he told me again, and he says, I'll never pray for those things again, but after coming through them, I was happy. And I said, why were you happy? He says, I was happy it was over with. And maybe you feel like that sometimes. But holiness is, I think, what the Apostle Paul was getting at when he said, Look, I don't try to please people. I try to please God. And he wasn't abrasive. He wasn't abusive. He loved people. He describes his love for his church like a father. He describes sometimes his love for the church like a mother, like a loving, tender parent. He, he loved people. He, he loved those that he mentored and he discipled. But he says the thing that matters most in my life is preaching the gospel and sharing christ where christ has never been heard of as yet i went back this week and just kind of reviewed in some of my resources in my library from some of the roman philosophers and the greek philosophers philosophers of what they had to say about happiness and love and reading them i found there were some good things they said i was reminded again oh that's good that's good and and my son who called this week and was asking me the same question so we were talking about roman and greek philosophers and not many people you can have that kind of conversation with but you can with him and so we were talking and he was sharing this and that and and i said with him but you know i think augustine said it the best of all of the philosophers for augustine who had drank deeply from the well of greek philosophy and roman philosophy when Augustine was marvelously saved and born again and gave his life to Jesus, when Augustine left a life of, of sinful pursuit of passions that he thought would make him happy, Augustine finally came to this decision for he described happiness is joy in the truth. And Augustine defined truth as Jesus Christ for Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you believe that, say a big amen this morning. You know, happiness is big business in America right now. Happiness is selling books. Happiness is selling courses. You can become a millionaire by just telling people how to be happy. Just sign up on my website. For 600 and something dollars, I will show you how to be happy. One lady wrote a book a few years ago. As a matter of fact, after I read the book, because somebody in the church asked me to read it, and and I read the book, and it was so full of, of things that were just... Not true that I preached a whole series of messages without identifying her book, but just on, on the secret to life and what really brought joy and fulfillment in life. But Yale University in 2017 offered a class on happiness. Now, Yale University, as you know, is a difficult school to get into. They select who they want to come to that school. And yet, when they offered this class, they were overwhelmed because nearly one-fourth of the Yale undergraduates registered to take this class on happiness. And the professor said, although we didn't realize it at the time, she says our intuitions about what will make us happy, like winning the lottery or making good grades or getting a good job, those are totally wrong. She would agree with Augustine. That Augustine says to us, the way to happiness is with a relationship with Jesus Christ. So this morning, I'm going to ask you, if you would, would you stand with me as we go to the word of the Lord? I want to read two passages of scripture for you. Because just before Jesus leaves this planet, just before he's crucified and before he ascends back to heaven, Jesus is going to pray for us about happiness. Now, the way Jesus defines happiness doesn't depend upon what's happening around you. That's the way most people in our world define happiness. I'm happy if I've got the good book and a good cup of coffee. I'm happy if I have a dog. I'm happy if I have a happy marriage. But that's not the way Jesus defines happiness. Happiness is what he does in you. And so Jesus prays this prayer in John 17 and 13. Now... He's praying to the Father. He says, Father, I'm coming to you and I've told them many things while, they, while I was with them in this world. What did he tell them? What's in the Bible? He said, I've told them many things in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I want you to repeat this phrase with me. So that they will be filled with my joy. Let's say that together. So that they will be filled with my joy. Say that again. So that they may be filled filled with my joy. Now think about the joy of Jesus when he saw the disciples coming back and they had been sharing the gospel. Remember that story of the seventy. He says, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name and Jesus was filled with joy, the Bible says. Imagine the joy that Jesus felt when he spoke at the tomb and Lazarus came forth or when he touched and healed a leper or when he healed a blind man or raised the child. Imagine the joy It filled his heart. Jesus is saying, Father, I've given them your word. I've given them the word of God so that my joy would be in them. Friends, I want to submit to you, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's why the Apostle Paul could write in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose you, he chose you and me to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and having chose us, he calls us to come to him and having called them, he gave them right standing with himself and having given them right standing, this is a powerful phrase, he gave them his glory. God has given you his glory Now. That's not a future tense. That is a present tense verb. You have the glory of God in your life now. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, thank you for the life, for the death, and for the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And thank you for these words of truth that we're going to look at today. Once again, Lord, as we did last week, I thank you that we can live in this great nation where we have been given the right, Lord, to pursue happiness. But I pray that we will pursue happiness in the paths of righteousness for thy name's sake, Lord, that we will pursue the true path to joy and happiness that will not leave us at the end of our life broken and disappointed, but will leave us filled and satisfied with the glory of God. For it's in your name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. You know, the first thing that I take from this passage of Scripture is, I can be happy in a broken world. And Jesus came into a broken world. He came into a suffering world. He came into a world of, of not only violence and not only crime and not only religious persecution, but legalism And as I've said to you before, when perfect love walked the face of this earth, we crucified it. But Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus lived a life of joy and happiness. And you and I live in a broken world today. We do not live in paradise. We do not live in heaven. Although we live in a wonderful country and we live in a wonderful place and we're thankful for all the blessings of this good land that we live in, This land pales in comparison to what heaven will be like one day. But in this broken world, we live with a perfect Savior. We live with the perfect presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We live with the perfect Word of God to guide and to lead us. And one of the things that I've learned about being happy in a broken world, and sometimes even in my own brokenness, is my bad things turn out for good. Not everything that happens in life is good. Not everything that happens to you is good. Cancer is not good. Suicide is not good. Heart disease is not good. The COVID crisis is not good. The coronavirus is not good. Our friends down south who were wondering about the epidemic and what was happening here in, in Michigan and in New York and other places are now discovering what's happening there as death is creeping across their parts of the country and the increase of illness. And yet I say to them when I talk with them and pray with some of them, if you can stand the pulling, God will pull you through. And I can't tell you how many times that people during this COVID crisis when I've talked with them have said those very words back to me. Pastor, you always say, if we can stand the pulling, God will pull us through. God's pulling us through right now. But I'd like to read you a literal translation. It's in the app. It's in the outline, I think. But a literal translation because really we kind of lose something in the translation here unless we look at it exactly how the Greek says it. In Romans 28, it says this. We have known that to those loving God, all things do work together for good. Now listen to that. That's important. To those loving God. Not to those who once walked close with God and loved God. Not to those who say they're a Christian, but they're not loving God. But to those loving God, those of us actively pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ, those of us that are passionate followers of Jesus Christ, not passionate followers of whatever's popular or passionate followers of the culture or passionate followers of what will make me happy. But as John Wesley said, pursuing Christ As Jesus said in Matthew 6, seeking the kingdom with our whole heart, mind, and soul. If we are seeking and loving God, if we're loving God with our whole heart, then God makes even the bad things that happen in our life, God makes them work together for our good. And he will mention these a little later. He'll talk about trouble. He'll talk about hardship. He'll talk about persecution. He will talk about imprisonment. He will talk about how some have even died for the faith. He will even say something shocking. Not even nakedness can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. But instead, they will work for good in my life. And so when I ponder that scripture and I think about our right to pursue happiness here in the United States, you know, to agree with me or disagree with me, to agree with God's word or disagree with God's word and to pursue happiness and whatever, you have that right. But to find happiness... Is to be found in jesus christ and with a relationship with him so what i've learned is this when things are going well in my life when things are going wonderful in my life then it's a miracle of god's grace but when things are going bad in my life then i look for the miracle of god's grace because i know that even the bad things that happen god is going to bring good out of those it's a promise that god made it's a promise made not just for today not just for this season that i'm in but for the totality of my life some time ago becky and i were talking about the different times of our life and i tend to look at and measure my life in spans of decades and going back to my journals and i can look at what god was saying year after year As I look through those journals, there are so many good memories, but in every decade there have been so many challenging memories. And to look at my life or to look at your life or to look at the life of Woodland from the period of a year or two years or a COVID crisis or a death or a birth, a marriage or a funeral, that's the wrong way to look at life, but to begin to look at the totality of life. And I'm at that wonderful point in life now where I've got a lot of history to look over. When I first started in ministry, I didn't have that much history to look over. And some of you sitting here today, you don't have that much history to look over. And yet when I look at this time that the church is going through in the time of life that I lived in, this just a microsm this is just a flash i almost said a flash bulb we don't have those anymore do we this is just a flash on your camera and all of the history of the people of god when you look at the totality of what god has done in his people then friends god has done everything good john newton once said and here was a man who knew a lot of suffering and pain the author of amazing grace Newton said, everything that is necessary, God sends, but nothing can be necessary that he withholds. So God sends to us, as you know, the blessings of life. He sends to us sunshine. He sends to us rain. He sends to us times of labor and times of rest. He sends to us our food. He gives us our shelter. He gives us salvation. But you know, the things that hurt us, our pride, our self-centeredness, our independence, our hardness of heart, the belief that somehow or another, I don't need God to be happy in my life, or the belief that I'm okay, you're okay, just like we are, we don't need a Savior. And God sometimes allows things to come into our life that can either make us tender towards him or it can make us hard towards him. Because the things that will hurt me more than anything is to deny my sin. The thing that will hurt me more than anything is to deny my flaws. The thing that will hurt me more than anything is pride in my life or selfishness in my life. Nothing would kill my marriage quicker to Becky than to live a selfish life. Or destroy my relationship with my children faster than to live selfishly in life. And so God allows sometimes those things that are painful. but can I took a man to church in California when we were vacationing there a few years ago. Bitter man, hard man, successful man. I really, really like him. He's one of my favorite people to hang out with. But the only time he's ever been angry at me was after the sermon because the pastor preached a message on sin and our need for a Savior. And though this guy has been uber successful, though this guy has the pictures of presidents that he's met with, this guy was so angry to think that that preacher would stand there and that Becky and I would invite him to a church that told him he needed forgiveness for his sins. Who did we think we were? Friends, I'll tell you what I told him. We're all sinners saved by grace. And why some people would rather be told they have cancer than to be told that you're a sinner that needs grace. I'll never know. Because you may recover from cancer. You may recover from a heart attack. But there is an eternity coming where you and I are going to live forever. We're either going to live with Jesus Christ or we will perish apart from Jesus Christ. But when Jesus is in your life and when he is the way, the truth, and the life, then suddenly all of life begins to make sense and you're happy. And the good thing is this, I cannot lose what God has given to me. The good things in my life cannot. I cannot lose Jesus. And my father who passed away that I miss every day, my father, I have not lost him. There are many times I say, I don't talk to daddy, but there are many times I say to Jesus, please tell my dad. I said, hello, I, I've not lost him. I will see him again one day. If something should happen to me, you won't lose me. I won't be a ghost in your house. I'll be in heaven. I don't want to be in your house, but I will be in heaven. And I want you to be there with me one day. Can somebody please say amen to that? The fact that my children might not be in heaven or the fact that you might not be there breaks my heart. But when we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, nothing, nothing that is important can be lost my mother had a little box of promises in her kitchen window. My mother was one of those southern women. She got up every morning. We had breakfast the same time every day, 6 o'clock. Homemade biscuits, grits and eggs and bacon were always on the table. We'd get to the table, Daddy and us three kids, we'd get to the table. And Mom pull out one of those Bible verses and she would read it. And from time to time, I would tell her, I'd say, Mama, that promise didn't work because Jesus said, if I ask for anything in his name, he was going to do it. And Mama said one time, says, well, you've got to fast and pray. So I fasted and prayed for something that obviously wasn't the will of God for my life. And that's how she explained that to me. You see, we tend to want to take these things and manipulate these promises. God doesn't promise me better circumstances God promises me a better life. Did you hear that? God doesn't promise me better circumstances. He promises me a better life. And today there are Christians who are laying down their lives every single day, who are dying for the cause of Christ. And you and I might look at them and say, how terrible, how horrible. And it is, I agree the blood that stains the ground of the Christian martyrs, more martyrs today than there have ever been in the history of the church. It's a wholesale attack on entire Christian communities around the world. But the moment their eyes are closed in death, they're open with Christ in heaven because God is working in everything for our good and for his glory. Look at this verse again in Romans 8 and 29. God knew you in advance and he chose you. Look at me. God chose you. I told the first service this morning, same thing I'm going to tell you. There are some people that God has chosen. I've looked and said, God, I don't think I would have chosen them. You know? I don't think, Lord, I would have... You know, why were you thinking when you chose them? You know, there's these things that we have sometimes where we want people to line up to what we think a Christian ought to be. And so God might save somebody. I remember when Kanye West gave his heart to Christ. And man, that week the internet was exploding with all kinds of bad things about Kanye. And somebody asked me, I said, let's just wait and see. And it looks like he's following through. I mean, I don't know the guy, but a friend of ours is a very big influence in his life. And he assures us that Kanye has really made a commitment to Jesus Christ. I think it's made some people angry because what they're saying is God If I were you, I wouldn't have chose Kanye. Well, it's a good thing you're not God. And it's a good thing I'm not God because you might not would have chosen me and I probably wouldn't have chosen you. But God chose us to become like his son. Let's give him a hand of praise for that today. Isn't that marvelous? He loves us. But he chose us to become like his son. In other words, he's making you like Jesus. So when you go home and you look in the mirror today, I want you to look in that mirror and say, God, you're making me to look like Jesus. I want you to go home and look in that mirror and don't look at wrinkles. Don't look at the color of your eyes. And if you're a little bit vain, don't stand there thinking, boy, how good you look and how lucky your wife is to have you or your husband is to have you. Look and say, Jesus, I'm becoming more like you. Because God is sculpting you. He's polishing you. That's what what Newton was getting at. Everything necessary, God sends my way. And then finally, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. For all of those that you have allowed me to preach a funeral in your lives, for your family members, difficult situations that I've walked through with you, I've assured you of this. And I will assure you again this morning, the best is yet to come. Every day can be better. Every decade can be better. Every year can be better. That doesn't mean there's not going to be seasons of difficulty. Our pecan trees, for some reason, they got the same amount of fertilizer, they got the same amount of care, the same amount of pruning. But it seemed like every few years our pecan trees just wouldn't bear a harvest. And so I can remember Daddy looking out and say, it's going to be one of those years. And you might be going through a time right now. After the first service, I talked with some people, and then I went in to to keep a promise to make a video I'm going to make after the service that I ask you to pray with me about with somebody else. It's one of those times in their life right now. This has not been a good season. It's not been a good year. I don't think any of us want to repeat 2020 all over again, do we? It's been a challenging year for us. And yet the promise of the word of God, not just for the future in heaven, but the best is yet to come. And God doesn't trivialize your suffering. God doesn't trivialize your loss. God doesn't trivialize your pain. That's the reason so many times at Woodland I tell you, God will never waste a day of your pain. That loss that you suffered, the child you wish you could still hold, the husband or wife that passed away too soon, the job that you lost, the house that you lost during the last recession. Whatever happens, God doesn't trivialize your loss, but you can't lose what God has given you. And God says to you, the best is yet to come. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, you can't miss this. He gave them his glory, the glory of Jesus. That's your glory today. He put that glory within you. God is working all things together for your good. Look at me now. Don't miss this. He's working all things together for you good to make you as radiant as Jesus, to make you as loving as Jesus, to make you as patient as Jesus, to make you as kind as Jesus, to work through you the way he worked through Jesus Christ. God will not let anything come between you and his glory. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So today, no matter what you might be going through, as you pursue happiness, I want you to remember this. God chose you. God always keeps his promises. And the best is yet to come. Now, Pastor Corey is gonna come and talk to you about how to experience true happiness. Welcome, Corey, to the platform this morning.
1: Everyone's on a pursuit of happiness. And we have this Unwritten list of things that we think will bring us joy and happiness in our lives. Whether it's popularity or purchasing a brand new car or going on that dream vacation or even finding that right spouse. The problem is popularity is fleeting. That brand new car quickly becomes a used car and the kids are often complaining throughout the whole trip about the food that you're eating and that someone's touching them. When we pursue happiness without the proper context, we quickly find ourselves feeling helpless, empty, lonely. And so we need to look at pursuing happiness through the lens of the Bible and see what God has to say. And one of the keys to happiness is humility. You see, God wants us to experience true happiness through a life of humility. And when we humble ourselves before the Lord, we will experience a true blessing from God. Humility simply means putting God and others before yourself. C.S. Lewis said it this way, Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, rather it's thinking of yourself less. Psalm 138, 6 says, Though the Lord is great, He cares for the humble, but He keeps His distance from the proud. God's saying that He cares for you, He cares for me, and that we're created to know Him, to love Him, and to serve Him. And the way that we reveal God, God's love, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is when we love our neighbor. You know, God treasures the humble. And when we live a life of humility, you allow God's presence to bring joy into your life. But if you choose to reject him, he's going to keep his distance from you. You know, if God is so great, that he cares for the humblest of you and me, then you and I are never too important to care for those around us. When we look to live a life of humility before the Lord, it challenges us in every aspect of our life. We're to be quick to apologize when we're wrong. We're to serve others and to place others' needs above our own. And when we do, we'll notice how living in humility will help us to love God And in return, that love is going to flow through our lives. See, humility treasures what God treasures. You know, there's many things in my life that I treasure. But the most important thing is people. My wife, my kids, my family, the relationships that I've built up throughout the years. But you have to treasure what God treasures. And have you ever thought about what God treasures? It's us. It's you and me. He treasures us. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. See, you are valuable in God's eyes. You know, he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows when one falls out. He knows what you're going to say before you even say it. See, he cares more for you because you are valuable to him. See, when we live humbly before the Lord, we understand that when we reveal God's love to others, we're demonstrating Jesus to them. See, the way God makes us feel special and loved is the way we need to show that to others as well. Our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, they need to experience that same love that we receive. We need to demonstrate it to them. Humility helps others feel treasured. See, humble people are happy because they're not trying to promote themselves or raise themselves above others, but they come alongside of other, others and help exalt them. See, yet sometimes jealousy can kind of raise its ugly head when someone gets promoted or applauded above us. Sometimes we get a little, a little upset, a little jealous, right? And we're not too happy for them. And we may find ourselves quickly in a conversation where we're tearing that individual down. When you live humbly before the Lord, instead of tearing people down, you you build them up. When Jesus would have conversations with others, he'd never tear them down. He'd speak life into them. He'd build them up. He made them feel special. He made them feel loved. He made them feel cared for. See, it's easy to celebrate other success when you are helping others feel valued. And I can't think of a better example than as parents. Our goal as parents is to help our kids feel loved and cared for, to make sure that that they succeed. And we, we want to see them succeed. We want to see them become better than we are. We want to be better parents than we are. Luke 14 11 says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's what parents do. That's what passionate followers of Christ do. We humble ourselves. We promote God. We promote others. And when we live humbly before the Lord, it moves us from being the center of our own life and readjusts our focus and our attention upon God. See, to pursue true happiness, we need to experience humility from living in a right relationship with God. Becky now is going to come and she's going to share with us how happiness through a contented heart.
2: Have you ever experienced buyer's remorse? You know what that is? That's that thing on Amazon. I mean, it slices, it dices it washes itself and it puts itself back in the cabinet for three easy payments and we wait on the truck to deliver this thing that is just going to make our life wonderful well then a few weeks later it's glaring at us from across the kitchen it's sitting on the counter with some of the wrapping paper still on it it's sitting there and you're thinking why in the world did i buy that i haven't even finished the easy payments yet Well, that is something called depending on the if-onlys to make us happy. If only I had this, if only I lived there, if only I made this much money, if only I had married, well, anybody else, then I would be happy. Well, the Bible clearly tells us that happiness is much more than the external things You see, that spirit of living in the if-onlys, it brings about fruit in our life. It brings about fruit of disappointment, disillusionment, and discontentment. But the Bible tells us that if we follow after God, that we can create and cultivate a heart of happiness. If we only live in that if-only world, then everything is going to be a disappointment. Everything is not going to live up to our expectations. But a heart that is fully committed to God, a heart that pursues after His righteousness and His contentment, that heart cultivates happiness. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 paint a beautiful picture of what a contented heart looks like. For Paul says, I'm not saying these things because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it means to be in need. I know what it means to have plenty. I know what it is to be hungry. I know what it is to live well. And I have learned the secret of being content in any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. We like the second part of that verse. We can stencil it on our walls. We can stitch it on a pillow. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. We like that part, but we tend to skip over the first part, which is the part that is the hard work, the seeding, the watering, the cultivating, the learning how to live a life of a contented heart. Proverbs speaks of cultivating that contentment and righteousness in our lives. In chapter 8, verses 19 through 20, God himself says, My fruit is better than fine gold. And yet, the silver, excuse me, what I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the path of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me, Making the treasuries full. Did you ever see the lifestyles of the rich and famous? You look around and you think, Oh, that silver and all that gold. Surely there must be happiness in that house. And then we read the tabloids and we know, Nope, no happiness there. God equates happiness. God equates having a treasury full with something far greater than silver, far greater than gold. On several occasions, we've had the opportunity to go to Mount Vernon, the home of George and Martha Washington. And I'm telling you, if ever I get the uh, bad case of the if-onlys, it's when I walk through their sta- their estate. Because I think, you know, if only I could live here. I mean, who wouldn't want the White House on the hill looking down over the Potomac River? Everything just seems to run smoothly. Everything. Just seems to be productive and innovative and there's a spirit of hospitality i don't know why god didn't let me live there i would have done so well well maybe he had his reasons but i look at that and i think surely this would make you happy but martha washington once was asked about happiness and this whole concept of being happy and this was her statement the greater part of our happiness or our misery depends on our disposition and not our circumstances." You see, this was an individual who, like Paul, had learned that happiness True happiness is not manipulating the external, but it's changing the internal. That part of our heart that we draw close to God, that we change our relationship with Him, and that draws us to a place, a treasury full of contentment. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, "...where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." What is the pursuit of happiness? A happy heart follows hard after God. Is the treasures of His richness, of God's fullness, of His inheritance. The fruit of that contented heart is the fruit that reaches out to others, not the fruit that says, Hey, it's your responsibility in this world to make me happy. Somebody should make me happy right now. It's the attitude that says, I am content in my heart. How can I reach out to those that are around me to help their world, to help those who are less fortunate, to help those who need a word of encouragement, to help those who need to be served? Where is your treasure? What defines the state of your heart, the state of your happiness or your contentment or your discontentment? Jesus said it best. Wherever your heart is, there will your treasures be.
0: Thanks, Becky. So where is your treasure today? Where is your heart today? I've quoted to you a lot of great people of the past. Augustine john newton john wesley i've quoted to you jesus no one greater than jesus so the question today in the pursuit of happiness is where is your treasure there are occasionally times when the boys and i have been hiking and especially when they were younger and they were smaller and we'd have to cross cross a log bridge across a creek and i would always tell them i say don't look down at the log But look to where you want to go across the creek, and that way we'll get across it. About four years ago, Chris and Becky and I were hiking together in the mountains when he had come home from Nepal, and we had just taken some time off to be together. And We came across a real slippery log. I mean, it was covered in moss, and I didn't want to cross it. And I said, go ahead and cross it, son. He goes, no, come with me, Dad. I said, I really don't want to cross that log. It's slippery. I said, you go ahead. He goes, dad, don't look at the log. Look at where you want to be across the creek. And so today I want to ask you, what's your focus upon? Is your focus upon Jesus? Because if you can keep your focus upon Jesus, if you focus upon what your pain is, if you focus upon what your loss is, if you focus upon what your hurt is, if you focus upon something that you don't have that you want, you're never going to be happy. I learned this as a child. That when I was in pens where they broke my hips and turned them around and I had needles and tubes coming out of me from everywhere. And I can remember the pain being so difficult and the doctors and the nurses telling me, saying to me, I wasn't a teenager yet, but saying to me, don't think about the pain. Think about something else, something that you'd like. And that was very difficult for a child to do, but I learned something. It worked. I could focus upon something, and the more my focus became intent, the less the pain became. But what I've learned as a follower of Jesus Christ, that my true joy and my happiness in marriage, in family, and ministry, in all of life, is not focusing upon the marriage or focusing upon my fathering skills or focusing upon pastoring. It's focusing upon Jesus Christ. So this morning, I just want to ask you, where's your focus today? Because if you focus upon your loss, if you focus upon your pain, you may become bitter. If you focus upon what you don't have that you want God to give you, you may become bitter. David became like, he says, Lord, I almost became bitter bitter until I remembered and maybe today you came to the service and just needed to be reminded you see the happiest people on earth they don't have the best of everything the happiest people on earth don't have the best street address they don't live in the best neighborhoods they don't live in the best nations they don't live in the best countries the happiest people on earth are the people whose focus is upon Jesus Christ and that's why we admire their story so much It's why the Apostle Paul could write from a prison, for me, living means for Christ. Would you say that with me? Living means for Christ. Please say that again. Living means for Christ. One more time. Living means for Christ. So let me ask you today, what does living really mean to you? Is it watermelon and picnics and ice cream and summertime in Michigan? Is it a good job? Is it a good house? Is it a happy marriage, a happy family? What does living really mean? What brings you happiness? I saw a cartoon years ago that said a businessman had gone to see a fortune teller and he'd ask her, where he could find happiness. And the fortune teller looked down at her little crystal ball and she looks up and she says, happiness, it's just around the corner. And he said, well, we're at around the corner. And the next caption says, for a little charge extra, I can tell you the address. There's no extra charge today. The price has been paid. Jesus Christ gave his life for you. So let me ask you today, be a passionate follower of Christ. Cease your worrying and start trusting God. That doesn't mean you're not aware of the things that trouble you, but take those troubles to him and know that God is going to work in everything for your good and glory. And then forgive those that have hurt you. Don't let resentment build up in your heart. Don't let hardness build up in your heart. You block the blessing of God. You block the flow of God. Perhaps you even block the healing power of God in your life because of resentment. Don't live in the past. Oh, I'm grateful for the past. I'm grateful for the decades. But I promise you this. I don't want to go back any decade. I'm looking forward to what tomorrow brings in Christ. And then receive your strength and receive your power from God because self-pity, feeling sorry for yourself will keep you... Look at me right here. Everyone across. Self-pity and feeling sorry because things haven't worked out the way you want them to will keep you stuck where you're at. Begin to practice your faith. Truly act like the best days are ahead. You cannot lose the good things. I didn't lose my dad. You didn't lose your dad. One thing we were assured of during the war, while Andrew was in Iraq, if something happened that we prayed every night would not happen, we would not lose our son. And every time he called us and we prayed together, whether it was Sauder City. With us when he called us after the third vehicle under him had been blown up and he was injured. Every single time we reminded ourselves on our knees, we will not lose our son. He may die in that battle, but we will not lose our son. You cannot lose eternal life. God has given you that. And every time Andrew and I would talk, He would tell me some story of faith happening in a difficult place. He would tell me stories like, Dad, we were surrounded. He says, we got cut off from the rest of our platoon. He says, they were coming out of the ground from the sewer hole covers we were being shot at from above. And he says, Dad, all I remember in that firefight is I was praying and just praying and praying he says, and after the battle and not one of us had a scratch on us. He said, the guy said to me, we didn't understand a single word you were saying. What were you doing? He said, I was praying. And he said, well, you weren't praying in any language we understood. And so he shared with him about prayer in the spirit. And from that time on, all those guys would say to him, Andrew. You pray in the Spirit when we go out. You pray in the Spirit when we go out. You see, God works in everything for our good. Nothing you give Him can be lost. He was an atheist who became a passionate follower of Christ, true Trueblood. He said some of the wisest words I've ever read outside the Bible. It is easier to act yourself into a new way of feeling than to fill yourself into a new way of acting. If you try to feel your way forward, you're going to miss it. But if you will act like the chosen child of God you are, if you will act like the child of his love that you are, if you will act knowing that you are filled with the glory of God, if you will act in humility before God and before one another, And if you will cultivate those things that Becky talked about this morning, keep your treasure in heaven. I promise you on the authority of the word of God, you will live a life that Jesus described. Is it a fullness of joy, a life of happiness? And so I'm gonna ask you today, would you commit your life to Jesus Christ? Would you bow your head with me? And you may say, Pastor, I'm I'm a Christian. Would you just ask yourself honestly this question, as I've asked myself already this week? Are you loving God? I mean, I know we say that, but are you loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Today, you may believe in God, But have you given your life? Have you ever consciously said, Jesus Christ, come into my life. I ask you to be master and Lord of everything. Forgive me of my sins. So Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, for those that have never given their life to you, I'm asking you to help them just to cross that line right now and say, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I truly do believe you died for my sins. And today, I ask your forgiveness and to come into my life. I commit myself to you as much as I know how. And I pray for those today, Lord, that they've been busy. They've been trying to survive during this COVID crisis. Lord, it's been a difficult time. I'm praying every day with sick people, Lord. I'm grieving with families every day who've lost someone. Jesus, I'm talking to some people who are willing, who are ready to give up a life, take their own life. Lord, would you help them to see today there really can be happiness. There can be blessedness. There can be joy. And I ask you right now that we will not be satisfied with an average profession of faith, but we would be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. For in loving you, Even the bad things will work for my good and for your glory. And if you believe that, say amen. And say it at home today as well. I'm so glad that you came and joined us today. And if you prayed with us to give your heart to Christ today, you know some have already done that. They've given their heart to Christ and they've let us know I have something I'd love to send you tomorrow. I'll send you a brand new Bible. It's it's called a New Believer's Bible. It has helps to help you grow in your faith, to help you understand who God is and what we're talking about this morning. Nobody's going to come knocking on your door unless you'd like us to come. And somebody then would be happy to just come and drop something off for you. But we're here to help you and serve you. But just email us at office at woodland.church. Or you can just drop an email right here to this send something on this Facebook page or YouTube page that you're watching and we'll follow up with you right away but let us know and we'd love to send you something to help you get started. Family, I'm so glad you're here with us today. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon. If you cut a watermelon today, think about me. I love you. God bless you.